Hello and welcome to episode number 10 of the Miller's Game Room podcast. I'm Miller and I talk about games and why I love them and other things relating to it. And um, yeah, uh, this one's a little late compared to my usual schedule and that's for a few reasons. Um, mainly personal stuff and I had to deal with that and also there wasn't much to talk about if I'm being honest. Like, like the first couple of weeks of the year is always really slow when it comes to gaming stuff. But this month was actually interesting, as I'm sure most of you know. I will be talking about that, and that will be the topic for today. And if you've been not really aware of it, even though it'll spin on like everything in terms of gaming stuff, even non-gaming news, it's about Microsoft buying Activision, which is going to be the topic for today, because there's so much I want to say about that. And it's also one reason why I'm recording this a bit like... A few days after the acquisition was announced, so give a time for the dust to settle and any news to happen, which um, I'll talk about in my thoughts. But yeah, um, first up's going to be a bit of the usual news stuff when it's not re- not related to the Activision buyout. And next section will be about what I've been playing um, and the usual. And then finally, the end will be the 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 Activision stuff, which I've got literally paragraphs so it's going to be a lot to talk about so let's get started so first off is going to be kingdom hearts stuff so um square enix announced there was going to be a uh, kingdom hearts 20th anniversary edition event planned for tokyo japan on april 10th which is going to apparently conclude a mini concert a q a and a re- recording of the event which will then go up after the event which at a later date which is unspecified even though they've probably already decided it internally but that's beside the point other news was about the the cloud ports of this of the series for the nintendo switch which is they dated for february 10th which uh yeah this is going to be interesting because there's been three demos of it so on the eShop there are demos of i believe all three games i'm not 100 percent sure but I've seen footage of what some people have posted online and it's running well-ish, but also not the best, if that makes sense. So, I mean, it's a cloud version, so it's basically streaming from a remote, a remote device to the Switch. Which, I mean, it's I'd say it's kind of nice, the tech, if that makes sense, but in practice it's really, it's very much a restricted version, like... Especially because on the eShop, it's going to be like, there's a bundle pack for all of them. And it's going to be like 90 USD as its regular retail price, which is about 50, 60 odd pounds. Um, even if it did a current like launch discount, which is like 72 US dollars, but still too expensive. It's like, um, I don't often hope something doesn't sell well, but this is one of those times because it's clear that Square Enix didn't want to actually invest in proper native ports. And... Considering most of these are games for, like, originally made for old handhelds and were just remastered versions of these older games for, like, the PS2, PSP, 3DS, it doesn't, it's not really much of an excuse to have invested in native ports for at least, like, 1.5 and 2.5 and even 2.8. It just feels like there's a square cutting corners again and they and it's just not something that should be supported and i think the price reflects that because the price is very much aimed at a um a premium crowd who don't mind having a cloud version of a game and even though it's an inferior version of a game in a way because if if it doesn't do well it will it might actually be taken offline much sooner than people think 
and that's you've got you're basically dependent on getting it streamed from a server whereas you can go on to like a game retailer and pick up physical copies of the series on ps4 for cheaper so yeah i'm not really sure how i feel about that but overall it's like uh, i mean i'm happy to see it on switch in some form but it's not a very good form and it's the games deserve better Alright, this next section of this news bulletin is about the uh, Xbox Game Pass because they added some games. Um, there was a bunch of mainly Western games and a couple of indies, I think. And But there are a couple that stood out for me, and I mentioned them here because the first one is the anniversary edition of Danganronpa 1, which honestly, I never expected Danganronpa to come to Xbox, so this is great news. Um, because bear in mind, these are like ports for many from the factual Xbox consoles as well as PC. But the other one is a Taiko no Tatsun the Drum Master. It's a brand new game, basically. It was, I believe it was, I think the actual trademark was leaked before. So um, if you were following game news, you'd already know that it existed. But there was no actual announcement, and this is the announcement, basically. Uh, we don't know much about it, but I'm hoping it's multi-platform. If I remember correctly, Bandai Namco Europe posted a tweet about it, and some of the prop prompts used both Xbox and Switch, which is a bit confusing. So... I'm hoping it's multi-platform and hopefully physical as well, at least in Asia. So that'll be interesting. But either way, it's good to see another Taiko game, and even one for the Xbox as well. And yeah, really good to see that. Uh, next one is um, All Axes event, where Axes Games are published. They're doing an All Axes event where they're promising updates on games and new announcements. So um, I'm not too sure what to expect in general but i'm not expecting much in the way of new stuff that i can predict anyway like they mainly tend to do otome games and they do indies and they pick up the odd localization for other games that other publishers tend not to do like they picked up under north's labyrinth of yomi from experience inc and i think they're going to announce monu which is um a game that experience actually released last year in japan which is basically like a dungeon crawler with a the with Mota, which is a character designer who did thing games for like the original Seventh Dragon on the DS. Uh, I'm also think there might be another Nippon Columbia title they did, um, Pretty Princess Party, um, Colorver Games, and uh, yeah, mainly Japan only stuff. Like you, they, they, they've aside from the few that actors have released, they've never had their titles released over here. So I, I don't really follow exactly what they do, but it's mainly like cute stuff and some of it licensed. So maybe they'll pick up something that might be one of the licensed ones, but who knows. And as for the Otome section, because a lot of people will be expecting Otome news, and I think they will have Otome news because um, Axies, like the biggest thing Axies does in general nowadays, I think is Otome. Especially as, as I mentioned earlier, they don't release like Spike Chunsoft Arc System Works games anymore. So I think they'll be focusing on that. But I think it will probably be release windows more than anything else for the games they've already announced. Because bear in mind, they've already announced like five games. Like there's um, Variable Barricade, which I think is coming out after the event next month. And then there's the PF4A fan disc, which was put for summer 2022, which I think they'll do a limited edition for that. And they'll probably talk about that if, if it exists, it's planned. And then there's a few others. There's the um, uh, Love of Pretend, Paradigm Paradox, which looked good. And the uh, Kimiwa Unigao game, the one with the uh, 
The one with the Watanabe Entertainment trademark, which hasn't hasn't got a proper English name yet, but with really snowy, really cute, really mysterious. So, yeah, I've that's about like five titles. I don't think they'll announce anymore, but if they do, I'll be surprised. And I'm hoping that these games will actually have proper QA and good quality. And maybe I'll be more inclined to get excited for them because I'm happy to see Dotemi games, but at the same time, it's like I struggle to get excited because I know that. A lot of these games will, will not have had good QA, and it tempers my expectations a bit. Like, if they announce any third-party stuff in terms of Otome, if it's not Otomate, which I don't think it will be, but if there are any other Otome games that are non-Otomate, I think it'll most likely be Jack Gian, which is the Otome game by Broccoli and the Tokyo Ghoul creator, I believe. So, and that was out, and they teased the localization about that. They were going to look into a Western release and nothing's come of it. So if it's coming, that would be the time to announce it, I think. If someone else hasn't already got it. Because I think if it doesn't get announced this year, it's probably not coming. Which is a shame. Yeah, so that's it for the news section. So I'm going to move on to the second section. So the first bit is basically um, one of my goals for this year. Which um, was partly driven by the fact there's still so much uncertainty with COVID. And I do not feel safe going out. Unless I don't know if I don't have to or it's important. So... I've been decided to just randomly try Japanese again because I, I started learning it a few years ago where I tried to get myself in a place to um, actually uh, hopefully read through Japan in the games but then my interest shifted and now they've shifted back a bit and I'm hoping to get in a position where I'll be able to actually read through so many of these uh, Japan only games especially visual novels because there's a lot of VNs on my list I'd love to play. Like I have a huge mental list of games I want to get through or try to read, like the uh, lot of Otome, for example. So, like, um, Broccoli stuff, Reject games, a uh, handful of Otomata games that won't come over or haven't like won't likely come at this point, like Clock Zero, uh, Yonahana Spring, um, and also other third-party Otomes, like the uh, Takuyo stuff, maybe. There's a lot. I, there's a lot to choose from, but... And but it turns out this is a thing. There's actually a really sizable overlap between Japanese-only Otome games that will likely never get an English release, and games that have an easy to medium level Japanese. So games that someone who doesn't know the super advanced stuff could learn. And there's actually quite an overlap. And I did some research on it, and I've been talking to Otome fans and stuff like that. And um, this is where the overlap is. So that games like Utane Prince Sama Repeat Love which is a broccoli game. Uh, Kamigami Toezobi, which is a, a, a broccoli Nipponichi collab, which I think, I think that, along with Utapri, that's a collab, but it's still the only one I think Nipponichi is super involved with these days, I think, I don't know. But that's coming to Switch this year, under the Unite edition. Um, there's a, there's other games as well, some Otomate stuff as well, like Yonahana Spring, uh, the, a Versailles game, I'm not sure what it's called. And um, there's a few others, I've got a list of them. And I've ended up downloading some demos, and hopefully that I'll be able to actually like play them and dig in some bit eventually. And also, there's some non-Otemes as well. So things like the Eldiri Masters, which is uh, a company called Ray Flagship, and their brand LD have been remastering older games and continuing them. So like, um, like Eve Burst Era R, Desire, other games and other games like that, which um. It's really nice, nice anime '90s art style when they're like on consoles and want to get them. And old Act Plus games as well. Um, that's the thing. Um, some major stuff as well. Just 
misc titles basically i've not got the whole list in front of me and to be honest it's a whole topic if it's worth talking about in itself which yeah by and large they're games that i don't think will ever get a localization like some of these obscure games like especially games that are not on the switch will probably never come over unless they're ported so i want to go back and play them and luckily at this point when it comes to getting games you can get them off ebay for considerably cheaper than it would to import them because it's hard to get rid of them so it's a little tip especially if you're hunting for trophies because that's the other reason people import visionals from japan is specifically to, to get the trophies from them and if you want to do that for ps3 and vita games now is your time before the online stuff gets shut down all right this next bit is the game i've been playing more than anything else which is one reason why i delayed recording is because i've not actually like played much else aside from like obviously the usual like a little bit of bandori i got my vita out and played picked up a backlog game which um called my love alternative which i'm near the end of which i'm just chipping away a little bit when i'm out but that's very slow because i'm not going out much and this is the fan translation for white happened too which i mentioned last time because it was like the dream the unlock which i wanted to play since i first heard of it like i didn't actually think a patch would come out because i know there were issues in the past with the, like the team's like quality which has been significantly revamped from what i've seen and it does play quite well and i wanted to play because i knew that an english release while i believe will happen eventually like years down the line is not likely at the moment because of the sheer size of the game like if anyone knows how big like Clanad is, it's I believe it's bigger than that, or and it's, and ju and slightly shorter than Fate Night. It's like a few million characters. It's ridiculous, and it's by Aquaplus, who made um, Utah Romano series, which I've talked about before, which I enjoyed because like like Mask of Truth is incredible. Like that was like I say was because I think this game will actually dethrone it as my favorite VN, and there's a bunch of reasons for that. So I'm gonna give a summary-ish because i want to do a full topic on it so including spoilers which will be its own thing when i've actually done it because you'll see what i mean when i talk about it why it's massive and why there's a lot of complexity to it and i want to properly talk about it the good and the bad and the pros and the cons and yeah um so what is it it's a um a romance love triangle drama the end and it's kind of like a soap opera which is in that sense, like, if you watched a soap on TV, like, they're called soaps in the UK, and you just, where there's drama, the reactions that can be predictable, so they're not predictable, but, and it can be a bit over the top, if that makes sense, like, it's kind of difficult to describe, but if you, it's basically the VN equivalent of a soap opera, and... It's not normally something I go for, especially because it's a Busojo game. Like, it's by Aquaplus, so it's primarily a Busojo game, which is aimed at straight men. And I made an exception to this one because of how well it's received. And it's like, it was literally like, as of the time of recording, the um, the fourth highest rated VN release on the Visual database, which is basically the Western VN library. And it's, I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but it's also in the top 10 of the Japanese equivalent. So it's um, very high, and it's actually very close to becoming the third one. So, yeah, people love this game, and uh, Patch has helped a lot with that. And there was an anime adaptation of the um, part of the game, which I'm going to get into. If you've seen the anime adaptation, it's for the introductory chapter, which I've not watched the anime adaptation. I just wanted to play the game. And so this game basically is split into three portions. Um, there's introductory, which is the the first portion, which is quite short. It's it's a uh, 
a linear game in that sense. It's basically setting the scene. It talks about the love triangle forming between Haruki and the two main heroines, uh, Setsuna and Kazusa, as well as the situation that leads to falling apart when it basically starts where they becoming a uh, unlikely band for the uh, light music club in their school, and they teamed up for the concert, which the concert itself went well, but then everything else uh, falls apart after that because, well, it's a love triangle. And then it was quite traumatic for them all, basically closing which is a second portion and the biggest portion takes place three years after introductory the protags are older characters are still traumatized and able to move forward from what happened when there was trauma from introductory and in that particular portion there are um there's a handful of roots and with three of them are like from new characters um all characters that the protagonist haruki meets Kaharu, Chiaki, and Mari, which um, at the time of writing the game, I've almost completed all of them, and I'll probably have that done by the time that this goes up, assuming that I don't get bogged down for days and other stuff again, because this is a, yeah, this is quite a massive game, so if I'm playing the game, I literally sit in front of it for hours, because that's how enthralling it is, and yeah. And then finally, there's Coda, which is basically like it was originally meant to be a surprise when it was first came out. Like it, like the public weren't told about it till people played the game. And once you complete a certain route in closing, which is um, has one of the characters from Introductory, which I'm trying not to spoil things because I want to keep it for the actual full impressions when I do my own topic. It's considered the best part of the game, and it's after that there's like a few like four endings in that, and it's basically way ahead. A couple of years in the future after closing which is interesting so i'm going to talk a little bit about it to give an idea and um goods and bad and um so yeah i'm going to start by saying it is a fan patched version so if you've played visual novels you probably know what i'm going to say because a lot of fan patched visual novels especially on pc tend to be for the adult versions and yeah i've uh, had to basically do skipping when certain content comes up specifically those scenes when they're only a spare only a small bit of the playtime but yeah it's uh i don't really want to see that but it's mere necessary evil basically because i think i mentioned this in the in the last time i mentioned it but because of the nature of fan translations and a game this size unlike to get an official release it often means sitting through that stuff because people will have to patch those versions of the game as it's harder to do console versions and lots of people on PC do like that content, not me. I uh, I think it's quite questionable if you like that content, especially in a game like this. But yeah, I, and, and you'd be surprised how many VNs and major anime adaptations have porn. Remember I mentioned Fate Night? Yeah, that's uh, that has that as well if you go on PC, which will probably never come to the West, but that's beside the point. And yeah, it does have versions on the PS3 and the Vita as well, which I was hoping would get patched, but once it came, I was like, you know what, I don't think I'm going to be able to wait for someone to patch it, especially if it's not guaranteed and the content's different in terms of like, well, there's content in place of the porn scene, so, which is quite common for these VN console ports. And yeah, putting that aside, because I, I feel the need to put that little disclosure on, because like... I would be put off if there was only an 18 plus version of a game in an official capacity. And I so I get why people be like, yeah, I don't want to play that and I didn't want to either, but I I just skip it and just yeah. 
and also made me feel a bit sick, which is also a reason why I don't touch this stuff normally. So yeah, um, as for everything else, the themes of the game include like um, romance, cheating, betrayal, mental illness, including depression and PTSD, relationship problems, uh, processing trauma, and of course music, because the soundtrack in this game is amazing, there's lots of vocal tracks, uh, including references to the first White Album, in the sense of uh, the songs performed in the band were from the first game basically which is unrelated in terms of story but set in the same world so they're just you don't need to play it and there's no English version of that game either um music and visual style is amazing as expected and um it's quite similar to Utawa and a Mask of Truth in a way like not in terms of its setting or its characters or it's even its scenario like Utawa and is set in a fantasy world but this is set in the real world like like you go to work, you go to school, it's that thing, like, there's no fantasy at all. But it's, there's a very similar sense of, like, the character development is really deep. It's really complex. The story, you can't predict where it's going. And it's really difficult to describe that. It's a very much a slow burn, and it's, it's hard to explain, but I just, it's really enthralling, and you can feel a lot of emotions and it's moving especially because like the characters are like in many ways quite flawed because you have pe people who make mistakes like cheating and struggling to commit and being indecisive and but it's like it's very it's very moving and it's well developed and is like really good intentioned in a sense that like you don't intend to cause harm, but it happens where you end up upsetting someone when you can't, like, when you really struggle with your own feelings and that kind of thing. It's really well written, and I imagine if it was ever released officially, it would come across a lot better. Because someone who's more professionally qualified would be able to communicate it much better than a fan translation, especially if you're only amateur, because a game like this is really complex to translate. So that's why I don't suspect that it will come over for a while, even though I believe it will, eventually. Like, I don't think they'd not localise the third highest game on VNDB, especially if other games by the same company have also been released in English and have now been ported to Steam. And if, really, if you want to sell your game in English, you need to have your stuff on Steam. Or you're going to really struggle. That's basically the end of life, and I think eventually that will it will be time for Aqua Plus to sit down and actually get this stuff released over here. Even though I also hope it the extended edition, which is the the most recent version of the game, comes to Switch because that's got exclusive content that's not in the fan translation. If that makes sense, because there was the introductory and closing, and encoder as well. And then there's like mini after story that's the extra content basically that's not translated and was added in afterwards in this re-release so hopefully that comes over as well to switch but I think eventually this will come over officially which is one reason I feel confident like you know talking about it and then being able to unequivocally go please try this and I'm hoping that I'm really hoping that what the lot, lot what I've heard a lot about the the coder portion and the, the, the route on closing I've yet to do will turn out to be as good as I'm hoping for because like the routes I played were site content 
and I'm looking forward to basically finishing it and talking about it and talking talking in depth about it all, pros and cons, your spoilers, the problematic content as well because there was a bit of it I didn't know about before playing, which I'm going to talk about because it's important to critique the media you play. Wow, I've really been at this for 26 minutes, fucking hell. Sorry. Um... Yeah, um, I'm going to stop about Wind Waker 2 because as you can see, well, I've stopped after like like nearly 15 minutes. I could talk about this as its own entire episode, which is why I'm keeping it as a summary like that. Right, anyway, um, on to the main topic, which is a topic you've all been waiting for or have already heard of loads, which, um, yeah, basically about the Microsoft buying Activision, which was announced earlier this week and um, I have thoughts on it. Because I feel like there's a few things that people kind of... As when I share my views, I feel like there's something important people need to grasp about about it in general. Especially the bigger picture of the games industry with regards to like acquisitions and stuff. So yeah, I'm just going to start with a summary. Because I wrote a fair bit of summary. And bear in mind that I'm recording this a few days after the announcement first broke. So there were things like clarifications. And things like that. Especially things on the part of like Sony and keeping things multi-platform. And how the staff in the company have reacted to the news, which has overall been positive. But so yeah, um, first off, Microsoft buys Activision for sixty-eight point seven billion U.S. dollars, aka far more money than most people, if not everyone listening to this podcast, will ever make in their entire lives. And that's due to happen by the end of the twenty twenty-two to twenty-three fiscal year where basically by June 2023, Activision will be fully absorbed into Microsoft, and basically people working there will have to report to Phil Spencer, who currently heads Xbox. And this means taking all these IPs, not they will Microsoft will own so many IPs from their extensive back catalogue. Not just things like Call of Duty and Overwatch, but things like Crash and Spyro, to things like... People forget exists like StarCraft and various IPs that a company called Sierra Online had, which Activision took took ownership of a long time ago when they bought Vivendi, which is a company that's been out of business for a long time. So there's a lot to digest. So they'll own a ton of IPs. And um, I know a lot of people will like notice that Bobby Kotick, who's the abuser, is uh, not stepping down straight away, is... Um, yeah, it's um, he's not stepping down straight away. He's like the there's currently vague, but the implication is that he'll step down after the acquisition happens. And the reason why this likely is is because if he if a company being acquired starts to change drastically before the the transaction is uh, fully approved, so to speak, um, it it could actually put the acquisition in jeopardy because when you have these acquisitions you have to get regulatory approval from these like these bodies like in the US in Japan the European Union's a big one as well China South Korea UK um yeah that that kind of thing and basically having this continuation will uh, basically work in the favor of the acquisition uh so um first off I've got a ton of notes here um, first off, is it a good or a bad thing in my, um, personal opinion? Because, like, it's, uh, it's kind of a bit more shades of grey than I'd like, if that makes sense. Because, first off, there are a few good things out of it. Like, Kotick will eventually be gone, and the staff will likely be able to be treated better, because a lot of people, they're actually optimistic about things improving under the new leadership of Microsoft. 
um, Phil Spencer himself has said that Microsoft would honor existing commitments to like games on PlayStation, like keeping existing games on there, which is implication, as well as things like the Ghostwire Tokyo timed exclusivity deal, which no, it asked Bethesda, but that's the fact they're still sticking to that in itself is a good sign. Uh, and also about the possibility of reviving older IPs, especially because Activision, as mentioned, have a ton of IPs, including a lot of forgotten stuff they don't want to do anything with. So now Microsoft has them, it's like, hmm, we could actually do something with them. And yeah, but of course there's a bad part because Kotick has done some horrific shit, he has enabled horrific shit, and he isn't really getting held to account properly by do by being basically allowed to buy, being, have the company bought out. And in the way he's been allowed to get away with it, unless like anyone after he's gone, they're able to kind of sue him in a personal capacity, which um, may or may not happen, or may if it's impossible. And also it's because it was basically, um, I've read up that Microsoft uh, targeted Activision in light of all the allegations and stuff and the instability, because that company was uh, very much in the frying pan and they were boiling because it was clear that the company was not going to, was going to really struggle and it was quite in a way quite predatory and it kind of shows the nature of corporations and capitalism because it shows that it's predatory targeting a company that you know is vulnerable to buy the company out and you hope that when you buy the company out you get all these ips you get all these studios and these people including some utterly vile human beings get money and they can live the life of riley so to speak have a good life when they don't deserve it at all. Uh, obviously, there's concerns about monopoly power, which is what a lot of people who aren't too in tune with businesses tend to be concerned about, because obviously it isn't an issue. Like, um, like companies have been generally acquiring IPs, like no, no tomorrow, so to speak. Like, it's just all over the place. Like every like few months or six months or so. Either way, it's ridiculously quick. You have the Embracer Group, which is THQ Nordic's parent company. Uh, have announced they've acquired like several new studios. Like they acquired, they've acquired Dark Horse, which is uh, just one of many, and that's only come to mind because, well, I saw one of their books the other day. I think a lot of people think when they see the news about things like company acquisitions, not just for the whole Activision Microsoft thing, but also for previous events, people are thinking, oh, what are Nintendo gonna do? What are Sony gonna do? Who's gonna get bought out next? And it's kind of understandable to a point. And there's also things that people hope that... I hope it stops. Because people will say that. Which is also a reasonable thing to to ask. However, I think people need to realise something quite important. In relation to this and acquisitions in general. Not just in gaming. It's not going to stop under capitalism. And the reason why is because well first off yes there are regulations yes some acquisitions do fall through but a lot of the time they will go through and that's usually for two reasons the first is well capitalism itself the acquisitions like this are examples of capitalism in action it's based on the idea of infinite growth and that it will keep going and keep going and keep going so in the case of these companies they'll keep buying out companies, smaller companies, and as time goes on, they'll grow, and they'll grow, and they'll grow. It's as if the companies are infinite. They're like, 
it's as if they've got all the companies in the world to buy when that's just not the case. Like you see that in th even things like Activision, for example, because Activision has amassed tons of IPs over the years, which is one reason Microsoft did the buyout. So, for example, one of the companies they have the IPs for are those of Sierra Online. And Sierra Online was bought by a bunch of companies or a bunch of different owners after they went bankrupt like 20 years ago, like something like that. It was a long time ago. And then it ended up in the hands of Vivendi. And then Vivendi was bought by Activision. And aside from re-releasing some of the games digitally on GOG and similar things like that, nothing of value was done with the IPs. But the point is, they own the IPs. And then Microsoft bought Activision. And alongside all the Sierra IPs, they own tons of stuff. But in, in the impression will be like, oh, they're, they're going to get more. And it's this kind of thing. Because eventually they'll come to a point where they can't buy anymore. They have to not only create their own, but it's just, it clashes with reality. And it's it's ridiculous because it, would lead, it, might, it will lead to redundancies and other forms of negativity for people overall in a lot of circumstances. Uh, it also shows things like it's not caring about morality because Bobby Kotick, who is a nasty, disgusting human being who has done untold harm to people, including triggering things that I'm not going to mention here to avoid triggering people because it's that, that bad. In an ideal world, people like him would be thrown in prison and stripped of all his assets and wealth and not given a golden goodbye so to speak which is likely what he'll get when he does finally leave which is likely to be after the acquisition is officially approved and it's despicable basically the second reason that i mentioned earlier is that is a more of a wider implication about political participation as a whole and the reason why this is is because regulatory bodies can block approval especially if it's seen to not be in the public interest. And a lot of people act quite passive with regards to these things, like, oh, like, like people going, who's going to get bought out next? Is the implication that they can't personally do something about it, which in some cases it's true, especially if they're not in the country, but in a lot of times it's false. And it can include things like direct political participation, so actually petitioning lawmakers, going to protests, these kind of forms of direct action that, that puts the pressure on not just the, the companies, but the lawmakers themselves, who may actually think, oh, this is actually not a, bad, not a good idea after all. And it's that kind of thing that can stop these kind of decisions being made. And people who want to stop future acquisitions, not just for games in general, and other things like that should go to the, take this direct action towards these regulatory bodies and blocking approval for these mergers and get laws changed to make it harder for these kind of things to happen and that's especially in the most important places including the united states the european union japan china as well even though that's obviously going to be harder but they're a powerful regulatory body so the point stands and that kind of thing and i instead of just being like Oh, what can I do? And expend, expecting that things will, will work out on their own, which isn't going to happen, especially when lawmakers are often paid off by 
the same people whose companies they're basically being told to approve, which does happen. As for more layoffs in the future, not layoffs, I mean, yes, more layoffs will probably potentially happen for the Activision acquisition, especially once it's all merged in, but that's beside the point. Uh, and also the fact that layoffs happen in the games industry a lot after projects are out, but that's also a different issue, but clarifying that here. As for acquisitions, um, there will be more, as I said, and there will likely be looking towards Japanese companies, not just for Microsoft, but also from Sony as well, because Sony has been damaged by this. Their biggest like third-party publisher is now going to their direct competitor. And it's it's going to be interesting for Sony because, as I mentioned before, people are going to wonder who's going to get bought out next. And it has led to a lot of speculation over who might get bought out next. And I think there is some truth in that. In that, I think they will target Japanese companies. I think a few. I think there are a few that might possibly get picked up. Uh, one of which is Konami because Konami is Konami and does absolutely fuck all with their stuff these days. And they're generally despised for their pachinko, and they don't do much with their games at all. And if they were bought out, if it did go the Microsoft route in wanting to reutilize old IPs, then that could happen. But much like Activision, they do sit on their stuff now, unless they want to do NFTs and crap like that. Other companies at level 5 who have had um, problems for years, if that makes sense, like trying to make all their IPs like these multimedia franchises, when that hasn't really worked. Especially like with Snack World was meant to be like multi a multimedia franchise and Yokai Watch was a bit for a time, but that's not really a franchise anymore. And maybe smaller companies as well, like I know Nippon Itchy's had some issues as well. And maybe even potentially potent even potentially a bigger palm company like Capcom or Square Enix could happen as well. I mean I think they're less likely, but then again, I don't think people thought that Activision would get bought out by Microsoft, even with the controversies going on, so stranger things could happen. Uh, and as for my more opinion overall, like I can understand a bit why, in this case, some people will not want to oppose it, the acquisition, in the sense of take direct action, because... I'd say if it wasn't for the Activision's unique circumstances with having a toxic CEO and all the terror working practices and exploitation and abuse and all that stuff, um, that and the fact that Microsoft having to inherit the company's issues will have to, for the sake of their own reputation, fix it, which will go some way to fixing it and getting rid of people that are abusive and toxic. In some ways, it'll be good for the low-level staff in the company. Especially, like, there's still, like, unionising still happening. Um, there's the whole... The fact that, yes, there is the risk of layoffs, which is something that's unfortunate and may potentially happen, but the workplace overall in the long term might actually get better. And I think that's why the buyout was probably the best possible outcome in terms of diplomatics. In terms of having the most diplomatic outcome... Like, otherwise it would have been years long, like, drawn out court battles and stuff like that, which would be very hard to continue because you are, it's basically workers versus these rich vermin. Not just Kotick, who's a billionaire, but a lot of the board of directors, and that stuff should happen in a personal capacity in the future because 
once the company's absorbed into Microsoft, I do not think Microsoft are going to want to deal with this crap much. But I'm not a legal expert, so I can't say if that's good or not, but I hope something happens in that capacity where these people personally get the crap that they deserve. And yeah, I've gone for like 40 minutes now, so I'm going to stop with regards to the Activision topic. Um, I'm going to end it for today in general because, well, this is a podcast and this is probably actually my new longest episode, which is now a record. It's now a record that I have a really long episode every week for the past, well, two months, I guess, and they're not getting shorter and maybe next time will be shorter. And that was the intention, but then this buyout happened and I've been here talking about capitalism and why I hate it. And, um, yeah. Uh, follow me on the podcast, give like five star reviews, etc. and so on and so forth. Like, subscribe, etc. depending on your algorithm of choice. Follow me on social media, GamerGalMila, Gamers Game Room on YouTube, etc. And thank you all so much for watching and listening. Bye bye.